Welcome to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS, covering the world of mapping and location technology. Welcome to Location Matters. My name's Sarah Butler. Last episode, we talked about neural networks and Sam was on that podcast at the time. Yep. And so we... um, we sort of briefly touched on the topic that we're going to be discussing today, which is about the, the GEO and GEE initiative. So we've just had this massive announcement that's come out in that first week into July with the Group on Earth Observations, who basically announced it alongside Google Earth Engine and you guys, that there are 32 projects that have been announced who will be able to basically use Google Earth Engine to address some of those UN Sustainable Development Goals as a huge range of projects. I did really want to dive back into that, maybe a bit more detail and tell a bit more of the story and to help Sam with that today, carrying on that conversation that we had in that first podcast. We have Nathan joining us and some of our listeners will remember Nathan, but sorry, Nathan, you've been a bit slack on the old podcast. I haven't had you on here for a year. <laughs> it's been a while. Yes. Good back. <laughs> He's good to be back and it's good to have you. So Nathan's a director of EO Data Science, working really closely with Sam and has been now for, I think- Over a year now. It's yep. been over a year, right? Um, you guys have done a lot in that year, so we're going to talk about that. And really excited to welcome on the podcast a new member of the EO Data Science team, because we have also been talking about with Sam in the podcast, how that team's growing. We've been talking a lot about discipline, like in remote sensing and really finding a talent pool and hoping to grow that talent pool over time. So for that reason, we are really excited to have Yvonne here on the podcast with us. Yvonne is joining the EO Data Science team to help support these projects that we're going to be talking about today. Yvonne, thank you very much for being here. Thanks, Sarah. Would you like to start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? I'd love to hear about what you were doing before you came to EO Data Science and maybe a bit about what you're doing now. Yeah, so I recently graduated with a degree in GIS and environmental management. I'm the most recent addition to EO Data Science. It's been almost a month now. It's it's been great. It's a great team. I'm loving it and really looking forward to what's to come. So you'll be working and helping support some of the projects we're talking about today, right? Yeah, awesome. Really exciting time, I think, for you to be joining the team. And we've seen, we had Amar on the podcast recently. You guys must be absolutely stoked to be watching this little EO data science team grow, right? Absolutely. Yep. Got a good team together, working really well. And we've got some great clients and projects to work on. So it's all coming together nicely. Yeah, awesome. So first up, what I would love to talk about is what you guys have been doing in this new financial year. So we've just had this massive announcement that's come out in that first week into July with the Group on Earth Observations, alongside Google Earth Engine and you guys. How are you guys all feeling now that this big announcement's happened? Because you've been working on this for a while. Yes, yeah, we have. um, Excited, that's how we feel. These, These projects are fantastic projects, global impact. And yeah, for us to have a role in supporting those projects to be successful is it's an honour, it's exciting. Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, Sarah, 32 projects from 25 different countries, I think $3 million US invested from uh, the Google team, which is fantastic and great support. And then also our ability to contribute to these projects. So I remember last year, I think maybe it was in October, Nathan, you came to me and everyone that listens to the podcast knows I work with like NGIS and EO Data Science and everything like that. But Nathan, you came to me and you said, I'm going to attend this conference in Canberra and it's a big deal and we're partnering with Google Earth Engine for this. And I'll be honest with you, at the time, I didn't realise how much of a big deal this was. That's how long this has been in the pipeline, all of this work. Can you tell me a little bit about, you know, back in October, you and I started talking about putting that booth together. What's going through your head at that stage? What led you up to that moment and what happened at GeoWeek? 
Yeah, it stretches back even further than that, Sarah. So I think this has been in the works for two years, probably, mm. even more. So look, it initially started with conversations with the group on Earth Observations and also our friends at Google. Really, the intention was to see, well, how do we support the global Earth observation community to develop, design and deliver really high impact solutions using Earth Observations? And the group on Earth Observations was the, the perfect network to achieve that. Fantastic group of people. And then the Google Earth Engine product was also a fantastic product to be able to allow organisations to scale their work because it was already some fantastic work being done. So those conversations have been happening for over two years. A lot of planning goes into place to put together a program such as this. And then the Geo Week, which was held in Australia in November last year, and it was a great honour for Australia to be able to host that, Canberra, um, was the, the perfect opportunity to actually launch the program because we, we had the opportunity to have face-to-face time with a lot of the people that actually came to, to that summit. And then we could actually have the, the ability to talk about what we wanted to achieve. We had Re- Rebecca Moore there from Google, Gilberto Camara there from, from Geo. So it just all came together perfectly. A fair bit of work went into it, but that was the, the opportunity that, that made a lot of sense. Mm. Um, and then from there, a lot of hard work to go through. And the Geo team has been amazing. So they, they really ran the process of getting all of the applications to come through. The evaluation process was really detailed and involved a number of individuals from Geo, EA Data Science and Google, and that's taken a number of months to put together. So it feels like a, a lot of hard work, but it's definitely in a great spot at the moment. Yeah, so re- refresh my memory a little bit because um, I know that these are all wonderful projects. And I'm just wondering about what the, the structure is in, around using Google Earth Engine. Has it always been free to use is it free to use and what has been the big obstacle that's been I guess stopping people from being able to undertake these projects and what value does this initiative bring to help them do that is it a pricing thing or is it access can you elaborate yeah, it's a good question and through the 32 different projects there was a combination of organizations that have used earth engine a little bit previously and some that haven't used earth engine at all Um, For the people that have used Earth Engine previously, they've probably used it on an individual basis, more from a research perspective. And so with the transition now of Google Earth Engine to be a fully supported product within the Google environment, the ability to transition from an individual approach to an organisation approach Mm. is really what we're trying to help organisations achieve and all the benefits that come with that. And for a lot of the other projects that haven't used Earth Engine before, This is the ability to take advantage of an end-to-end cloud-based Earth Observation platform to really scale their project. So a lot of these project submissions then would have just come from a simple idea. You know, this is our goal. This is what we want to achieve. They maybe haven't used Google Earth Engine like you've mentioned before. Is this really where you guys come into the fore, you know, really helping people operationalise their ideas? Is that the value out of EO Data Science being involved in this project? Uh, Yes, in short. A lot of, I'd say the majority of applications that came through are from existing work where existing science has been done and built. Often the issue is with scaling that out, you know, overcoming obstacles with computational power. So that's, that's really where Earth Engine comes in. In terms of our role, it is in general support, but I think one of the main roles for us is to help these projects. And many of these projects are also collaborations between multiple institutions, private companies, government departments. Our role in, in taking Earth Engine into more of an organisational sphere rather than individual users accessing it is really going to help with the collaboration and, and scaling out of, of products from this. Okay, great. So with that in mind, tell me a little bit about the application process. So you had the announcement happen in November and I'm guessing it was like Gates were open, you would have started getting a lot of interest, no doubt. How was that first few months for you guys? And I mean, how was that application process for you? Did you get a lot of interest? 
Yeah, there was um, there was well over fifty applications, and I mean I know initially we were you know, planning to accept twenty five, but really once we started, once you know the group on Earth observations, Google and us really really started looking into the applications, we had to pick thirty two of them. We couldn't really draw a pick between a lot of them. The the quality was high in general, and the impact of a lot of these projects, what they're going to have towards sustainable development goals, climate change, disaster risk reduction is really significant. We just couldn't say no to, to many of these projects. And again, that, that was in terms of assessing the applications. It was a, it was a pretty in-depth process. You know, these applications were covering a, a lot of really meaningful content and were, I wouldn't say, yeah, they're generally pretty complex to really be able to piece apart where the impact's going to come from. And the key word there from Sam is right, it's impact. So when we were looking at the evaluation criteria, there was standard criteria in terms of their approach, is it feasible, but then the key thing from our point of view was looking at the actual impact that was going to be delivered. So as Sam mentioned, really a focus on sustainable development goals, biodiversity, disaster risk reduction and climate change and the ability to impact those, which was really the key thing that we were looking for. I think it's really amazing that you can tell the amount of care and consideration that's gone into the selection of these projects when you consider that the announcement took place at the end of November and only recently have you actually announced what those winning projects are. Yeah, it must have just taken a fair bit of time, I would imagine, to actually go through and carefully consider all those criteria that you mentioned, Nathan. Yeah, and we wanted to take the time. Mm. So we had uh, people from GEO involved, and that's obviously a large community, data science, and a number of our people were involved. And then we had the Google team as well. Um, and the ability to, to do individual reviews and then come together and get consensus was an interesting project, which I think, as Sam mentioned before, is, is why we ended up with 32 instead of 25. And so then we find ourselves in July making this big announcement and then you have Yvonne joining the team. So we mentioned this is really exciting. How long is your support period? Two years. Yeah, yeah two yep. years. Entirety so you've got a nice two-year <laughs> pipeline of work ahead of you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so yeah, so um, I'll basically be the main contact between EO Data Science and, and the winning projects, providing the, the support that they need and getting everyone set up with their Earth Engine license. Yeah, uh, I'll be the one. You're going to be going to be the person on call for them. Yep. Sounds <laughs> of it. So, have you had time to actually look through these winning applications? Yeah, I had a look at all of the proposals. They're all really, really good projects. Is there anything? Love all of them. Is there any? Yeah, that's good. Is there anything in particular that sort of stands out to you that you maybe has or carries an affinity with work that you've done before, or something that you're particularly passionate about? Mm, yeah, it's it's hard to pick one, but um. A few years back, I was, I was working on a research project. I, I spent a lot of time in, in the mangroves of Singapore and Malaysia. So there is one particular project. They're looking at coastal erosion and mangrove ecosystems. And mangrove ecosystems hold a special place in my heart. So I'm looking forward to that one. That's awesome. Yeah. What about you, Sam? Yeah, like Yvonne said, you can't really pick between them. It's, uh, it's like asking, you know, which, which is your favourite child? Um, <laughs> <laughs> because they're, like, seriously, there are, uh, there are a lot of God, you really love this, good don't you? Oh, you yeah, absolutely so love this. Like, see, you ask me, <laughs> ask me how I find this you know, point in time in this process, yeah, I'm excited. Oh, probably the one for me I'm really looking forward to seeing it progress is the EBV scale-up, so EBV being essential biodiversity values, uh, variables. Sorry. So that's been a, a project of existing work by the um, GEO um, Biodiversity Observation Network. So EBVs are kind of derived measurements or the derived measurements that are required to study, report and manage 
biodiversity change globally. And so by defining EBVs and and also scaling up their assessment, it's really going to improve the way that policymakers can measure the impact of their decisions and the policies they put in place globally in terms of addressing biodiversity loss and managing biodiversity for the future. This is going to be a really important project. There's been a heap of work done already by those guys. So most of that kind of theoretical and proof of concept work has been done. If anyone's interested in this, yeah, definitely Google it. Some awesome content online. There was an article in Nature last year that's definitely worth a read. But the constraint, you know, in, in front of these guys at the moment has been scaling what is, you know, really computationally heavy work. And that's that's where Earth Engine and Google Cloud Platform in general, I think, is going to make a big difference to scaling this work out. So, yeah, for, for us to have a bit of a role in, in helping them to do that is super exciting. At the end of this project as well, all of all of the code they develop, EBVs themselves, um, and, the, and the outputs are going to be open access. And I think that's going to be a bit of a step change for biodiversity management globally. Awesome. Kind of leads me nicely into a bit of a question I wanted to ask around the technology and the technical side of this. In terms of like if you had to lay all of the successful projects out on, I guess, a spectrum, in terms of the way they're using Google Earth Engine and maybe how advanced they are in the way that they're using it, like you and I have talked about concepts about machine learning and all sorts of different amazing cool things that you can do with Google Earth Engine. Is everybody sort of in that using like that more advanced side of the things that you can do with Google Earth Engine or is there a bit of a mix and a bit of a mashup? I wouldn't really describe it as more advanced. Mm. Um, Across the projects, you certainly see kind of all the facets of Earth Engine going to get a pretty heavy workout. Some it's it's with the machine learning, others it's just in kind of computational scale and others it's utilising, you know, that that massive data catalogue and really extracting value from it. The entirety of the um, Earth Engine API is definitely going to get a workout between these 32 projects. That's really cool. Nathan, you have been um, championing a lot with NGIS actually in the past around using Google Earth Engine to really communicate environmental science goals. And I mean, I talk about something that we've spoken about before on the podcast, which is Coastal Risk Australia, which I feel like really ignited a bit of a fire in you because I know you're really passionate about it you must be really excited to see what some of these projects are going to do for the environment do you have any standout applications that sort of you really loved and kind of lean towards things that you also enjoy doing and how you like to use google earth engine yeah i do i've got 32 of them nah. um, <laughs> you can't say that it's not allowed <laughs> it's not allowed well no you can say it the projects that I, I like the most were probably the ones that i could see we're going to get the most value from earth engine that's really what we're really keen on, on making the most of through this program. So if you're making me mention one, I'm going to mention a few, if that's okay. Yeah, Sarah, go can on. I, can I have yep, go for it. And these are in no particular order, but uh, I definitely like the submission from the UN Environment Program and collaboration with the University of Edinburgh around the environmental and climate stress indexes they want to produce, mainly because it's a global challenge, that the data that they will produce will be globally significant and standardised, um, and there's just such strong links to sustainable development goals. Um, and within that project, when you get into the detail, out of the University of Edinburgh is a great little initiative called EarthBlocks. Um, I was just going to ask about EarthBlocks because Rebecca Moore actually tweeted about this yeah. the other day, and she really pulled them out as something that she's super excited about. And I was going to say, what is with EarthBlocks? I actually don't know a lot about it. Uh, it's Google Earth Engine for non-coders. Yeah, so awesome. Google Earth Engine is pretty technical. Um, and you need a fair bit of skill to be able to use it effectively. Um, EarthBlocks allows you to package all that capability through a really easy-to-use GUI interface using code blocks. So 
the ability to then use earth blocks to allow people to use earth observations more. So we're talking about decision makers that, that may not have some of the skills of, of other remote sensing scientists. That's really exciting. So I think the connection there to impact and decision making is, is really strong. So I love that project. Uh, another project I really liked was the AquaWatch initiative, which is already a really significant global initiative. Um, looking at the development of water quality products on a global scale. Um, and that's an initiative already from the Group on Earth Observations. They've got AquaWatch and also involves the World Bank and Conservation International. And once again, the value of Earth Engine here is allowing them to scale their activities. So the goal of the project was to provide a global scale, open access and freely available application. It's exactly what Earth Engine is suited for. It allows you to take that science, scale it and make it available. And just the ability to have this project that it's not just one group, we're talking about an existing geo project, the World Bank, Conservation International, the level of contributors is really significant. And then the last project that I just probably have to mention uh, is the work from Costa Rica. And just because it's really helped educate me in terms of the biodiversity of Costa Rica and the challenges that they face. So just pulling out some stats, I think over the last 70 years, about 80% of forests in Costa Rica have been lost. And then if you look at the biodiversity, even though Costa Rica is 0.03% of the Earth's surface, it actually contains 6% of the world's biodiversity. So this project is around land degradation, deforestation that directly impacts that biodiversity. A project called Simocute, I probably pronounced that wrong. The team there has got extensive collaboration once again. Um, it's the government of Costa Rica, but in collaboration with number of organisations including um, the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organisation. So the ability to support their work and scale it using Earth Engine and this team is already, they're already big fans of Earth Engine and they wanted to take the next step. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, I was about to say, um, I think they, you can see how excited they are. I've seen that the, the government has, government of Costa Rica has been actually retweeting and resharing information about the project. You can see that it, I think, strikes a bit of a chord for them and that they're very excited and they it's almost I almost feel like they really needed this yeah and and Raphael from Costa Rica came to Geo Week in November last year with one of the ministers from Costa Rica so they're really invested uh, and they've already taken a number of steps for reforestation and this is just part of that journey yeah they're very invested and very proactive so it's great to have them on board I'd like to probably mention to our listeners that Nathan claimed that he wasn't prepared for this um, episode <laughs> of the podcast, um, and I think you're a big fibber, because uh. uh, those are all really, really cool answers. Actually, talking about Costa Rica, I'm kind of like drawn back to a conversation, Sam, that you and I had, which wasn't on the podcast with Servia. We were talking about just how valuable Earth observations can be for developing countries. In terms of your applications and in terms of reaching these UN Sustainable Development Goals, are a lot of these projects actually leaning towards good work that can be done in developing countries? Are we seeing that throughout the applications and the winners? Yeah, certainly. I mean, we had, we had a lot of applications from developing countries where they were looking to basically use what they can get from Earth observations in, in decision-making. Yep. So apart from environmental impacts and conservation, there's also a bunch of projects that are looking at disaster management and poverty alleviation and, yeah, definitely very important projects as well that that's working towards the sustainable development goals that's a really really good point um and something i didn't think we'd actually end up talking about but i really appreciate you bringing that up disaster management i mean let's look in our own backyard look at the year that australia's had i mean the case for earth observations especially for governments looking at how they can be using satellite imagery in particular to prepare for deal with and respond to natural disasters is a massive issue 
Yeah, definitely. As you said, what we've encountered down in Australia in the last year, so the, the bushfire crisis that we had around six months ago, I think it was at 15 million hectares bushfires yep. on the east coast of Australia. And Earth Observations was used there, but it just showed how valuable that data was, but also how challenging it is to use in a standard way. So we had a number of uh, Australian government organisations using Google Earth Engine to create standard burn products and then incorporating a large amount of Earth observation data, both really available from the European Space Agency and NASA, but then also commercial providers. So the role of Earth Engine in many of those circumstances was to bring all that data together. And we're, and we're not even a developing country. And like, look at the things that you can do and things that we can have in place to help us, which is why these projects we're talking about are so important important, especially when we talk about, Yvonne, those developing countries, because looking at what the adversity we saw Australia face during those bushfires, if that had have happened in a country that, you know, isn't economically as well off as we are, I mean, we're very lucky, but it's, you know, a great opportunity for developing countries to actually look at how they can be using and learning how to use tools like Google Earth Engine so that when they are put in those situations that they're not, or, you know, they've got more to hand to help them deal with that. And I think that that's a really important point. So thank you. And just on the developing countries, one of the key things that we were looking at for this initiative also was the fact that you could go from zero to 100. So for a lot of these organisations that were probably early stages in their establishing of um, an Earth observation capability, Earth Engine is just a perfect platform to allow them to take advantage of a managed curated data portfolio and then to quickly create the data products that will create an impact for their projects. So I think that's going to allow a lot of the organisations to achieve pretty significant outcomes in a pretty short space of time. Yeah, definitely. And I think the computational power, that's something you and I have talked about as well, Sam, and going back again to what we're saying about developing countries um, and what we talked about with Servia is that a lot of developing countries that are working with Servia, for example, were saying, you know, Earth observations and, and these techniques is not something we're new to. It's just that Google Earth Engine helps us do it so much faster yeah, than we ever had I mean, before. Sorry, Sarah, when you consider, um, you know, a lot of places in developing countries, you've got very poor or almost no internet speeds right so the um, you don't really have the option of, of downloading a, a few hundred um, you know 1.6 gigabyte sentinel 2 scenes whereas earth engine allows you to do all of that compute in the cloud and, and basically just uh, receive the products so that's a huge advantage and I, I know that was part of the the early thinking in the architecture of, of earth engine was to kind of make earth observation data kind of universally accessible now you, I'm um, just going back to the data point there, Sam. I understand that EO Data Science, you guys are pretty close now to releasing a new catalogue of some data that you guys have put together. Is that right? Yeah, so we've been working on, uh, it's almost a bit of a shadow catalogue within Earth Engine. So that's kind of useful data, which doesn't quite fit the criteria for um, Earth Engine's public data catalogue, but is nonetheless useful data. So uh, for example, you know, we've imported the Silo Australian Climate History data set. So that's basically daily climate records for, for Australia the last hundred years and a pile of others which we are going to make available for people to use and and hopefully have have impact with those. Awesome we will um, include some information about that in our show notes. I think that's all we've got time for today guys and really appreciate all of your views. Yvonne again welcome thanks for being on the podcast your first one. (laughs) Um, Really excited for what you're going to be working on I think this is going to be a really rewarding experience I wish I was able to do the same as what you're doing. Sam Nathan guys thank you I'm absolutely stoked for you guys to see all this come together after so much hard work. Do you have actually before we um, finish up any resources that you'd recommend to any of our listeners who want to get to know more about this project for example or um, a little bit more about EO data science? Yeah, jump on eodatascience.com is your best bet. 
and we'll be pushing more and more content to that website. So that'll keep you up to date with what's going on with this program, um, but then also other initiatives within Google Earth Engine as well. Yeah. And definitely follow us on social media. Um, yeah, really active in, in providing content on social media. Yeah, and our marketing team will be um, doing up some blog series on, on the winning projects as well. So that's, that'll be a good read. Yeah, awesome. It's really cool to see that people can still keep engaging with the stories behind this. I think that what we're going to see after two years is going to be pretty phenomenal. I don't think we're going to be stopping talking about this on the podcast. So we'll include links to all those resources that were just mentioned by the team in our show notes. In addition to that, we talked about a couple of specific projects and some announcements that were made by governments who are involved with the announcement for the the initiative um, that we're talking about today at Costa Rica, for example. So anything we mentioned today, we're going to include those in the show notes. We do encourage that you go through and have a look. This is really, really cool and important stuff. Guys, thanks once again for being on the podcast. And for anyone that really enjoys listening to the Location Matters podcast by NGIS, don't forget to hit subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. You've been listening to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS, covering the world of mapping and location technology. To find more episodes or to read our blog, check out our website, ngis.com.au.